here's the desire of your heart. Here's the weakness of your flesh. And it's, it's just right here. It's, it's right here. We don't see the devil behind the screen. And he's got a plan to drag us away from God. He's got a plan to drag us out. We don't have the patience to do it. Two verses later, James says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God wants to give us what we need. Amen. But we got to reach out and take a little. we got to desire from that place of our flesh that's weak. I don't know if my desire today is, God, let us see that our desires can go to the cross too. Like Paul said, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Amen. It's not enough just to take the bad fruit out of our life and begin to work. But God wants us to take out the passions and the desires and the crowd out. It's almost there. But these desires are coming up and they're crowded out. God wants us to take a home and get in there and take out these thorns and these desires that will crowd out the life and the fruit and the purpose that will come to us through that Word of God. Amen. So that's my desire. Today I thought of this scripture and I wanted to read it. I read it earlier and it says, from Psalms and we know it. But this is this is my heart today. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. Amen. My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. And that's why I want to say, God, I may fail, but I want my desires to be only in you. Amen. The things that come to me through the Word of God, they don't almost bear fruit. They don't almost produce a crop, but they actually come to maturity. Amen. And the things that God intended for my life, they bear that fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Amen. Amen. I feel like the Lord has already brought, has already given us His Word for tonight, but I want to build on it just a little bit. <clears throat> when He was speaking I felt like, I felt the conviction of the Spirit, and I felt like the Lord was saying that the problem is that we like to delude ourselves into imagining that the plants of desire and the planting of the Lord can coexist, that they can both survive in the same garden. And if we just keep them separate by a little bit, we're going to be okay. But you felt you felt the sword of the, the Lord saying, no, that's not going to work. Here, let me pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. I thought of the passage where he says in Psalms 15, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place, his holy presence, but those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And that pure heart is the same pure heart Jesus was speaking of in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And if you look it up in various lexicons or renderings of the Greek, they'll tell you that the that pure heart is the same as singleness of heart. That an impure heart refers not just to having an impure thought as we would think of it or an impure desire as we would think of it, but it, has, it refers primarily to having duality of intention, duality of desire, as opposed to singleness. 
It's very much the same thing James was also speaking of when he talked about the man who receives nothing from the Lord. Who is that man who receives nothing from the Lord? The double-minded man is the opposite of the man who has a pure heart. He wants something from God, but he also wants something from the world. He desires help from Zion, but he also has his attachments to Babylon. He wants to feel the spirit like he sees his companions feel it, but he also wants to feel the pride, the glory, the self-adulation of his own flesh. And that's, who, that's the person James speaks of when he says he'll receive nothing from the Lord. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy presence? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. To even get into the presence of God, you've got to drop something out of your hands. You've got to simplify your heart and your desire. You, something's got to come over you that says, God, there's nothing else. As the psalmist also said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Not two things, not three. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's all he wanted. He wanted that relationship where he could seek the Lord with an expectation of finding him. As Jeremiah said, in the day you seek me with all your heart, the Lord said through Jeremiah, I will be discovered, I will be found by you. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. As long as you're trying with 80%, you're not going to get there. You're never going to stand in the place of victory that you want to stand in. But if you can put everything on the altar, God is going to meet you there. We make such a mockery of his grace, of his word, when we yearn and pine away apart from him. And we complain of our powerlessness and we beg him for help in our lonely prayers in our closet. And then we come into his presence and we feel, okay, Lord, here you are. But we hear him saying, you can come up here with me, but you've got to clean your hands. You've got to clean out your life. You've got to purify your heart. And then we say, huh, maybe I'll just stay out here outside the courts of the temple and catch some of the glory that drifts down into the valley because I'm not sure I'm quite ready to make that sacrifice. And so then we leave having got a little mist on our clothes and we go back to our life and we are years and months and years later complaining that though we prayed, we didn't get a victory. That though we asked, we didn't get an answer. But what the truth is, is though we prayed when we discovered it required everything, we wouldn't purify our hearts. We wouldn't clean our hands. We wouldn't simplify our lives. We wouldn't give up our double-mindedness. We wouldn't seek him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was something that we were going to withhold. God is not mocked. His promise is true. If we will bring in the full sacrifice, if we will make the full offering, 
His glory is going to come and it's going to consume it. I read this scripture in Revelations this evening. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. As I was praying, the Lord brought this back to me with some impact, with some force. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Obviously, this is what the 24 elders were saying in the book of Revelations, the fourth chapter, when they took off their crowns. You remember the, the point in the, in, the, in the Bible, amen, they took off their crowns. And I was reading it, and I, I thought, well, you know, that's really what man is seeking. Man is seeking to receive glory, honor, and power. You look at the crowded field of those running for president today, glory, honor, and power, that's all they're seeking. You think of all the, the bright minds who are filing into the halls of universities with this expectation to be the next rising star, glory, honor, and power, that's all they're seeking. Those studying to be journalists so that they can sit there and be a talking head to mesmerize all the dummies who turn on their sets. Glory, honor, and power. Through their intelligence, through their wealth, through their breakthroughs in science. Glory, honor, and power. And I felt the Lord saying, Thou art not worthy, O man to receive glory, honor, and power because nothing came from you and nothing is really for you. It didn't originate in you and you can't, you, and it's not for your pleasure. If you were the origin of your life, then it might, it might belong to you, this glory, honor, and power, but none of it originated with you. It all started with somebody else, but there's somebody who's worthy of all those things we've been aspiring to for ourselves. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. The author and perfecter. The beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. The creator of the universe. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And if you want your life to be changed... If you want to stop growing both plants, if you want to be catapulted into a meaningful purpose, if you want to be used by God like you've never imagined possible, then you need to decide who's worthy. You need to decide who's worthy, you or God. Who's worthy of worship? The very word worship, the etymology of the word, it means worth-ship, worthy, worth-ship. He is worth something from you. In your worship, in your work, work has the same root. It's all tied into labor, laborari, esharari, such labor is worship. In your relationships, in your striving against sin, if you're doing it for yourself, then all of your offerings, all of your efforts, they're like little burnings of incense to the idol of self.
because you're a good person and this is what you deserve. Have you ever heard people say, you owe it to yourself? Perhaps a, an advertisement. Take a day off. Enjoy yourself. You owe it to yourself. But you'll, you'll hear people say the same thing. Overcome alcohol. Sign up. Knock it on. You owe it to yourself. I don't believe there's any permanent victory. I don't believe there's any grace-empowered overcoming for those who burn their efforts like incense to the altar, on the altar of self, to the ego of self. But if you can say, Thou art worthy, O Lord. When I was dead, you called to me, and I was able to hear and come out of my tomb. When I was filthy, squirming in my own blood, you came and put your cloak around me. You washed me and rubbed my wounds with salt. You made me clean. When I was unlovable and when I didn't even know what love was, you loved me and taught me how to love others. When I was a big splat nothing, you came and told me I could be part of your eternal purpose that you'd already completed at the cross. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. When you're doing it for yourself, it's just a black hole caving in on itself. Amen. It's never enough. But when you're doing it for God, suddenly something comes over you. You say, well, I thought I was doing it to serve people. Well, you are. Because that's what God's mission is. It's to serve his love to people. But you're doing it for God. And it's benefiting people. It's blessing people. It's helping people. But you're not doing it for their approval. You're doing it for his approval. You're a workman. And you don't want to be ashamed. But you, you want to be approved to God. Amen. Approved by God. I was talking to a brother this week. And I was saying to him that <clears throat> there's something that happens in the life of, of someone who, who is aspiring to service in the gifts of the Spirit or in, the, in, in ministry. But really it happens to all of us, no matter where we've been called, no matter whether we think it's great or not, something happens to us. And <clears throat> we can live on a certain level of duty, we can live on a certain level of completing the task, but it's it's like grinding through gears that have no oil. There's no there's no real fluidity. There's no grace. There's no haris of God that's taking over and taking us beyond ourselves. And I told a brother <clears throat> that I remember a time in my life where. I, I felt like my, my service to God and to his people felt a lot like pushing a car in neutral. And I could never get the engine to start. I could never get a force whose power was greater than the mass and weight of the car. I could never get it to engage and propel me on its own inertia. And... I would study and I would pray and I would prepare probably way too much. And, and for me, a good day was 
getting the car, you know, really stressing and sweating and getting the car moving just enough to start to get a, a downhill momentum and maybe hit the clutch and hear the engine kind of vroom, vroom, do a partial clutch start a time or two. That was a good day. And I would say, hey man, well, I felt something from God. And I would be thankful for that. But I never felt what I wanted to feel. And I know we're not going to know the fullness until we're in the fullness with him in eternity. But I knew that there was more that God had for me. Amen. And I, I felt this, this struggle inside of me. God, what is it? I would pray and I would think that I had an insight and I would sit down and I would try to share it with somebody. And it just felt like, you know, moving through glue. It, it didn't flow. There wasn't this grace, this anointing, this charis. Somebody asks you to pray for the, the dinner. <laughs> Maybe a small thing. But you don't feel what you want to feel and you don't feel like you can release yourself to something that is outside of yourself, to an anointing. Somebody asks you to pray for a, for a meeting, for a Friday night fellowship. and It's like you, you hate yourself because you always are bouncing back into these little forms and boxes that... It's like, oh God, I want, I want to feel your glory, honor, and power. I want to feel your anointing. What is this? Amen. And those of you who know what I'm talking about and who have come through this, you know that the biggest part of the victory happens in the prayer room. Amen. That's where you're breaking through these artificial boxes and barriers that you've put on yourself. But I remember... I remember standing up in a meeting, and I could never tell you what exactly changed, but I remember standing up in a meeting in the same way I did for three years. And I remember sharing a scripture from the book of Job, the 14th chapter. There is hope for a tree if it be cut down at the sin of water, it will sprout again. And I had shared more scriptures than I could count. I still have all my notes from all those meetings every week, week after week. And there were times when I felt the truth of what I was saying. There were times where I even felt the conviction in what I was saying. There were times when I even felt like somebody was blessed by what I was saying. But at the best, I was just doing a partial clutch start going downhill. And the weight and preponderance was not carried by God. But for whatever reason, as I began to share this scripture from Job, for whatever reason, suddenly I was outside of myself. Not in some kind of out-of-body experience, but for some reason I could feel and sense the impact of the scripture and the truth that was coming out of my mouth. And who cares that I was the one speaking it? I was standing in awe of this inspiration of hope that was coming from ages past and still present in the power of the Spirit for this moment and these people and that woman standing over there by the pillar who had who, given up on God and church. It was starting to come. There is hope for it. Oh, God. And I can tell you right now that I could have gone... 
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I don't know what I'm feeling. I could have made a little joke. I could have smiled and gotten out of it because it was an invitation for me to lose control. People don't like to lose control. And if they're sure that they should never lose control and somebody suggests that they might could lose control, the best they can do is think that it's a joke. And when God invites you to lose control and give control to him, I've seen ministers do the exact same thing. Brother Caleb and I sat in a meeting in Richmond, New Zealand once, and we had, we had no experience with the people. It was a charismatic church, a couple hundred, I don't know, 300 or so people. I can't exactly remember. The, the singer was anointed, and the, the teacher was an American from out of town, and he was extremely profane and phenomenally gifted. He was, the words rolled off of his tongue, the concepts, it, it was just riveting at times. He was even responsive to the Spirit. He came over and was doing these fake prophecies for scores of people, and when he walked up to us, the Spirit of God came on him, and he started speaking just like Balaam's donkey or Caiaphas the high priest prophesied accurately. It was phenomenal, and yet, I watched him through that night, and I'm not here to judge him, but I'm here to warn you. I'm here to warn you. I watched him that night, and every single time the Holy Spirit started to fill the sails of his boat and take him in a way he wouldn't go, in the way God wanted him to go, he'd make a joke out of it. And people would laugh, because the devil doesn't mind that. He doesn't mind teaching people how to keep control with a little smart remark. Whether this or that. Or, but what he doesn't want is for someone to really clean off their hands and purify their heart and say there's only one who's worthy to receive honor, glory, and power. And I want to give everything to you tonight, God. You speak what you want to speak. You love the way you want to love. I'm not my own. I'm yours. Just use me, God. And I remember that night, it was such a small thing, but I remember deciding in a subconscious choice that had really been made in prayer rooms a dozen times before the meeting. I remember this subconscious choice that said, I'm going to yield to this. I'm going to yield to this. And then, oh God, let me, let me yield to this until you've had your complete way. Amen. And I remember a lady came up to me afterwards. She was an administrator. They, she and her husband had some wealth, lived in Florida, and they got taken by a Ponzi scheme. And they lost all their money. And the word, there is hope for a tree if it be cut down, it spoke to her heart. And I didn't know, and she didn't know, she was still a relatively young person, but I didn't know that she was going to be in eternity within a year's time. But she said, the only church I've ever known that was a real church is what I experience in these meetings. And step by step, a relationship with God began on her part. And I, of course, asked myself, Lord, did I give her everything that she needed? But I also asked myself, God, what if I hadn't yielded? What if I had just brought another inspirational notion from the Word of God that night instead of feeling the wind starting to take, take the sails in a different way? Oh, Jesus. 
and just letting the Holy Ghost have its way. And I want to encourage you that the beginning of power, the beginning of usefulness in God begins, it all starts with you answering who's worthy. Because when it really comes down to it, you're not going to make the ultimate sacrifice for yourself. You're going to fall short because you intuitively know that you're a dead end. Amen. That flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you can stand in this place where you say, God, you're worthy. I didn't die for these people. You did. You're worthy, Jesus. Not for my sake. I didn't. I didn't reveal the truth of salvation to us. You did. I didn't originate this incredible life, this incredible hope. You did. But Lord, how could I sit on it? How could I suppress it? How could I betray it with these other desires that would choke it out? How could I ever? Because God, I know who I am, and I have, I have, I have seen it so many times that when I see who you really are, something wells up in my heart that says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Amen. You can have the glory my flesh would reach for. You can have the honor I want from people. And you can have all the power in the world, Lord. Just use me in the advance of your own pleasure. I just want to encourage you. Amen. If you're moving into a place of ministry, you pray, you ask God, you seek his face, you ask him, give me an inspiration. Give, give me something that excites me, that stirs my heart and gives me the chance to stand outside myself in awe of you, of your word, of your spirit, of your love, where you can say, oh, that is an incredible scripture. I remember that man came over to us that night in Richmond, New Zealand. We had just landed. We had just gotten there. And this was really the birth of the church in New Zealand. Brother Caleb and Brother Matthew and Brother Randy and I. Brother Randy and Brother Matthew were having a home meeting, I believe, in which Sister Tressa received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Brother Caleb and I were, in part, humoring our guests, our hosts, I'm sorry, to go to a church, we weren't really excited about it, but we felt like we should go. And much of what was said that night was not of God. But God will use whatever he needs, whatever he has at his disposal to communicate to those who do have clean hands and a pure heart. I know with conviction that God was not sanctioning that guy's character, his doctrine, his method, his <laughs> nothing. It just was awful. I wanted him to go back to America and leave these poor Kiwis to themselves. But he was going along and, you know, they do this little thing of, of partial, you know, pray for people and give them a fortune cookie prophecy. And, you know, it's so generic. You know, I sense that, that you have prayed recently. Well, most Christians will have done that. It's so generic that it doesn't really amount to much. But as he came over to us, we had just landed in New Zealand. And as we were, as we were driving up two days before to uh, Mount Robert for our mountain climb of Revelation, the Spirit had fallen in the car 
in Brother Jared's little bucky, pickup truck, they call it a bucky, and, and the Lord had spoken prophetically upon this rock, I will build my church if you'll just clear away the rubble of all that man has built. Amen. And, and so we felt God was opening a door. We'd actually used that word. I had called back home and I said, Dad, there is an incredible open door here. So we went to this meeting in Richmond and this guy was all over the map. Clever, gifted. He just should have been teaching on plumbing parts instead of the gospel. But anyway, he was going from person to person and he came to us and here we were sitting there. He had gone through this whole line and we were hearing it and I was looking for how I could leave the room gracefully before he got to us because I didn't, I, I consider prophecy something sacred that can only come from God. So I was nervous to play any part in a sham and I didn't, I didn't want the Lord to judge us for being there. So, but the Lord knew, and we had, we were sitting there, and he comes up to Brother Caleb and I, and I've never heard anything quite like this from anybody before. And he goes, he said, I am seeing double doors, like you would see at an old western saloon. And he said, they're open. There's no lock on them. There's no latch. They're just free to swing open and God has opened a door before you and he's just telling you to walk through it. Amen. And the Holy Ghost fell on us. And for all the things that I felt against his profanity, against his off-color jokes, I knew that the Lord was speaking to us. Amen. And I felt the Holy Ghost and I worshiped God right then and there and thanked him. Amen. That's not all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just yielding like that then bringing it back under control of the flesh. Amen. I'm talking about saying for my whole life, Lord. Amen. For now and forever. Amen. When I, when, I, when I sit down and when I rise up, when I work and when I play in my relationships at home and in church, every day, God, you, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.